Hey there, everybody. Welcome to Realty Speak, the podcast where experts share valuable insights, answer questions, and tell some real-world stories that'll get you thinking about how you can tweak your real estate investment strategy to build up revenue, realize higher returns, and retain more profit when you sell. I'm your host, Bill Widener, and today I'm having a conversation with Laura Lazarus, CEO and co-founder of Anthos Home, along with her colleague, Courtney Nelson, VP of Housing Acquisition. Laura and Courtney, thanks so much for being here to help me and the Realty Speak audience understand the complicated topic we will be discussing today. Thank you so much for having us today, Bill. We really are thrilled to be here and tell you more about the work that we're doing at Anthos Home and how we can help owners and tenants move into housing more quickly. Thank you for having us, Bill. Can't wait to get started to talk about the exciting work that we're doing here at Anthos Home to help New Yorkers get housing. So affordable rental housing availability here in New York City is challenging. And for individuals and families with limited resources to pay for housing, it becomes almost impossible to find a place to the point where there is a likelihood of homelessness. Yet there are programs that these individuals and families could qualify for that will subsidize the cost of housing, with the result being a consistent payment to a property owner and a nice place to live for the renter. If it was only that simple. Spoiler alert, it's not. And it is with this challenge that Anthos Home found a mission to pursue back in 2021. And we're off and running by the end of 2022 as Anthos Home, a non-for-profit organization. And now a year and a little later, they are blazing a trail of success for housing providers and tenants by helping them navigate and execute the many voucher programs available today. Now, it would be an understatement to say that both of you have quite the resume and career path. So before we get into the nuts and bolts of vouchers and how Anthos came to be, please give me some insight into that. Laura? Thanks, Bill. I spent most of my career doing affordable housing development around the country. I also um, have worked at a couple of nonprofits in New York City, Lenox Hill Neighborhood House, as well as I was the executive director at Lantern Community Services which provides supportive housing throughout New York City. I've also worked for the New York City's Housing Preservation and Development Department several times. Um, I was educated at Princeton, and then I went to Georgetown Law School. So I feel like I have a lot of knowledge of the issues that are facing people who are looking for affordable housing in New York City. And we bring a lot of those resources to bear for the tenants who are looking for that housing and supporting the housing providers in making that an easy process for them as well. Courtney? The majority of my career has been housing focused before I finished my academic studies, which was in urban studies and then urban planning. As a master's, I worked at a private real estate investment firm in New York City. Very small, but had a pretty large portfolio within Manhattan. We did take in some Section 8 clients, and that was my first foray into the city's working and vouchers. Um, and that sparked something in me wanting to join New York City Housing Preservation and Development. I was there for about eight years working within their Division of Tenant Resources, which is their Section 8 program. I later left that agency to move to the Department of Homeless Services, where I worked to acquire shelter for families with children, responsible for the team that built a number of shelters throughout the five boroughs to provide shelter for families with children. I am now at Anthos home. Very excited to be extending this work and continuing to provide access and to speed up the process for how people find housing. 
So you have a master's. Did your uh, education start before or during while you were taking on all these positions? I do, yes, have a master's in urban planning from Hunter College. It actually was uh, something that I was pulled toward in the work that I was doing um, at the private real estate investment firm. So that actually set the tone and path for my academic career. Fantastic. Well, thank you both for sharing that. And I think it's time for us to get started. I understand that anthos is a Greek word that you chose when naming the organization. What does that mean? And how did anthos home actually come to be? Anthos is Greek for blossom. And the reason we chose this word is there is a book by Matthew Desmond called Evicted. And in the epilogue of that book, he talks about how important it is to have a home in order to achieve the things that you want to do in life. Education, employment, health, you really can't do any of those things unless you have a place to live that's stable and you're allowed to look and think about your future. And so he talks about blossoming in your home, and that's how we came up with the name. The organization Anthos Home was created by myself and Leslie Abbey. Uh, She is a friend and somebody that I work together with at Lantern Community Services. She's also an attorney and is currently the CEO of Hot Bread Kitchen. She also worked a number of years at Administration for Children's Services. She and I had worked together at Lantern, but when she left, we stayed in touch and she went to Covenant House New York, where she was the chief operating officer. At Covenant House New York, they run a number of shelters for young adults. And she was having challenges because her young adults in those shelters were being given vouchers to help them move into permanent housing. Yet they were not being given any additional supports or services to help them make that transition. And the young adults were really having trouble trying to find units that where a landlord would take them. They didn't know how to do that. They didn't understand the voucher system and neither did her staff because they weren't trained in that. It's very specific information. It's very detailed. And so she and I continued to talk about, was this something unique to Covenant House in New York as a nonprofit organization? Or did other organizations within New York City also experience these challenges? And as we talked to people, this all started the summer of 2021 as we had been focusing after the pandemic on other things, you know, were there other problems that other people were facing in terms of utilizing rental vouchers? And we discovered that there were. Many organizations found it very challenging. Many individuals find it very challenging. It is very difficult to leave shelter. The statistics show that in 2023, it can take several years for a family to leave shelter on average, and um, at least more than a year for an individual on average. And so, These are not things that are unique to Covenant House. And so we started to brainstorm, were there better ways to do the services that she and others were providing, not just providing people with a voucher, but providing a lot of support. So we looked around the country to see if there were other models. This is not a unique problem to New York City. Uh, Many of you may be familiar with the voucher called Section 8. It's a federally issued voucher, which is usually available in almost all cities throughout the country if you are at a certain level of income, low income, assuming the voucher is available. And many of those are not utilized at their maximum potential because it is a complicated system for landlords also. We looked around the country. There are other models out there. We looked in Seattle. There's a group called Housing Connector, which has an interesting approach where they provide additional financial support to landlords to motivate them to work with people with vouchers, and they help to coordinate nonprofits to provide that service. 
But the model that we thought was going to be most effective in New York City is, was actually created in LA about 15 years ago. It was actually created by Mitch Katz when he ran the LA County Department of Health. Um, and what they did, that LA County Department of Health did, was they actually funded a nonprofit organization called Brilliant Corners, which is still operating today, to actually create and execute on a subsidy program for people in Los Angeles to help people move out of hospitals who are low income into permanent housing. The aspects of this model that we found most interesting and we thought would be very effective for New York City include the following three components. One, they go and we, this is what we do today. We go and we find property owners and landlords interested to renting to people with vouchers. And we make sure that the units can meet the inspection standards and the income requirements because vouchers can't cover all income levels. Once we find units like that, then we enter into an agreement with those owners, those property owners, and we will pay them an amount equal to rent to keep that unit on hold for us as we bring them tenants to match them to those units. We have a housing team, and that's the team that Courtney leads. Right now, we have six people in that team, really experts in that work, where they're reaching out to property owners and landlords to find units throughout New York City. We have units in all five boroughs right now. Uh, we have a flexible housing subsidy pool model. We are actually paying landlords a rental amount. It's not rent because we have what's called a hold agreement, and we pay them an amount to keep their unit aside while we bring them tenants to match them to those units. The subsidy process can take time. This way, they're not out of rent while we are looking for tenants to put into their unit while we're helping to process, get the subsidies processed. They know that they have income coming in while we're working on getting the details right with the tenant. So you're working on the acquisition of the housing that can be provided to these tenants that have vouchers. Is that one of your major roles? It's one of the key components is to have available units because on the other side of what we do is we work with tenants to help them find units. So we receive referrals of people who have vouchers. These are, again, low-income individuals and households. Where do those come from? So right now we have funding from philanthropic sources as well as the government. We have a contract with the New York City Administration for Children's Services. And as part of those obligations, we receive referrals from ACS. So these are young adults who are aging out of foster care, as well as families who are involved with ACS who may be in shelter or at risk of being homeless, all of whom will have a voucher. We also work with high-needs health individuals and households who have a voucher who are in shelter and need permanent housing. So that means they may have one or two chronic conditions, and that's a requirement of one of our funders. And let's talk about funding for a second. You're 100% philanthropically funded. Is that correct? No, we are a mix of philanthropic and government funding. It's about 50-50 right so, now. So about 50-50. You're not receiving any fees for any of these things that you're doing. No, the funding that we've received is to pay for these services that we're offering. These are no cost to landlords and no cost to tenants. I'm sorry I interrupted you, but you said there were three components, and we talked about the one component, which was the uh, housing, and uh, the, was the second component the tenants that we just talked about? Second component is the flexible housing subsidy pool. And what that means, and this is 
really what's very important about our organization is that we're very nimble and we're very flexible. We really try to meet everyone's needs and meet them where they are to help make sure a placement can happen as quickly and efficiently as possible and make it successful. So these funds, these flexible housing subsidy pool funds can be used for repairs to help make sure that the units meet Uh, the requirements of the vouchers. Any voucher will require that a unit have certain things within the unit in terms of paint or outlets. You know, it's, it's basically what you would expect a unit to kind of meet certain standards before subsidy is provided. So we can help landlords with making those repairs before a tenant moves in, as well as after a tenant moves in. And we've done both of those things. We also have funds in this flexible housing subsidy pool to help with moving costs to help with furniture. Many people do not have, you know, furniture at the time that they move in. We also create starter kits for every tenant that moves in. So cleaning supplies, linens, plates, things that they may not have if they're living in shelter or are coming out of a foster care home. So those are the kinds of things that we do with those flexible funds. Really, the goal is to facilitate the moving of people into that home. Also, once a tenant moves in, those funds can be used for arrears. So for example, a tenant, when they apply for a voucher, they may have a certain income at that time of application, but three months later, they may no longer have that income. And so their subsidy amount needs to be adjusted, but it will take time for the government to make that adjustment. We can make sure that the landlord stays whole while we're making that adjustment and putting that in place with the government so that the landlord is not missing out on any payment. The third aspect, which is unique to this model and also not really provided in New York City, a household moving into housing with a voucher, there's typically no services provided after somebody moves in. We provide services to both the landlords and the tenants after they move in. For landlords, we, we have a 24-7 hotline if there are any issues. They have concerns about a tenant, there's noise, they don't feel like the tenant is really abiding by the lease, or there's a payment issue, they can call us and we will follow up to figure out what's going on. Same with the tenant. We provide a lot of support for tenants. Once they're referred to us, we figure out where they're interested in living, what kind of unit they qualify for. We make sure all of their documentation is correct. They are enrolled in the appropriate program so that the subsidy can, in fact, take place. We also accompany them on viewings. We educate them on their lease so they understand what the obligations are in the lease and what their financial obligations are. We really want to make sure that they understand that they're going to be utility payments. They may have to set up their internet. We'll support them in in actually making that happen. And then once they move in, we provide support to the tenants. So we will visit them quarterly in the first year. We will be in contact with them by phone multiple times. We're really there to make it successful. We're focused on housing stability. We want it to be successful for the landlord and the tenant. You mentioned Section 8 at one point, and Section 8 is not the only voucher. I mean, that's a federal voucher. And then I understand it everywhere else in the country, a landlord can choose whether or not they want a voucher-holding tenant to move into their property. Whereas in the state of New York, source of income is a protected class. A property owner actually can't say, I don't take vouchers. But there's still a challenge. The challenge is is that property owners don't want to wait that period of time and have that gap of revenue while they're waiting for inspections to be done and repairs to be done. And you're helping with solving that challenge. And you're filling that gap, correct? Yes. We're trying to make it easy for owners to rent to people with vouchers. We're trying to hold their hands. We're going to walk them through it. 
We're going to support them while we're supporting the tenant. So it's a successful tenancy. There is source of income discrimination laws in place in New York City and New York State. What we're trying to do is trying to make it easy for people to rent to people with vouchers, to increase the number of owners to do that, particularly if this is something that they're not used to doing. Really clarifying that for them, walking them through the expectations, what they're expected to do, just help them support them through that. So any property owner, would it would behoove them to actually contact you and at least have the conversation and get the education so that they understand that this is a very positive opportunity. This is not an opportunity that's going to create problems for them. This is an opportunity that's actually going to fill one of their vacant units with a consistently paying family or individual. And they have you in the background helping that family or individual make the best of this new home. So like you said, Anthos, they can blossom. Courtney, tell me a little bit about your role and the six people that report to you and exactly what it is that you're doing in this process of these three components. In terms of my team, it's structured with me at the top, and then I have a supervisor and then housing acquisition specialist under them. And those are really the folks that are on the ground inspecting those units, meeting the supers and the property managers um, at the ground level to build those relationships. My team also has cold called on certain housing platforms, you know, if there are vacancies to, again, get the word out. It's really about outreaching. And so myself and Laura have reached out to a number of trade organizations to do presentations. And this is kind of how uh, we all met, is that you did do a uh, webinar for Spony, the Small Property Owners of New York, an amazing organization, and also RSA, the Rent Stabilization Association, also an amazing organization. They actually support each other very much. I watched both those webinars, and that's kind of what made me curious about this, because this is unique, and and it's so needed right now. Yeah, and... There's been instances where landlords are not really trusting, have been burned by the city or uh, voucher tenants before, very reluctant to want to participate. So a lot of our engagement is centered around brokers. And because we've educated the brokers and sort of demonstrated to them thus far that this is a proven model, they've brought in landlords that they've built relationship with already. And so we're really leveraging that where we've seen sort of that switch is with the smaller or mid-sized landlords. This is really their bread and butter. And one missed rent payment could be the difference between them being able to pay their mortgages or not. And so how we've sort of approached this is let's start with one unit. Or if you have a couple, let's start with a handful and let's see how it goes. They're already getting rent to hold the unit for us. So within those four months, if nothing happens, there's no loss here. They still got payment for that. We're also trying to address and do most of the heavy lifting within that lease of process. Short of filling out the paperwork and just having them sign, we're really doing it all. Uh, we've also assisted some of those landlords, those smaller ones, in making repairs that would be the difference between them being habitable and not with the vouchers. Otherwise, those units are just sitting there vacant. I'd love to hear some success stories about a person that was struggling and had a voucher and couldn't find something and you match them with, say, maybe a reluctant landlord, and how that all turned out. Sure. This is an individual who came through the ACS system. ACS? The Administration for Children's Services system. 
And she came with the voucher and we were just starting. There were a lot of kinks to sort of like iron out. And she actually mentioned to us like, wow, this is amazing. Like before you guys were even in the picture, I was really struggling here. And although I had the city right backing and a lot of supports around me, I was unable to find housing. We matched her with built around her preferences. We matched her with a property provider and that process from viewing the unit through lease up was in under 40 days and it was record time. It went pretty smoothly. Again, there were some kinks, but when, once she got settled in place in the apartment, she was really grateful to us because she was like, wow, once I got connected to Antho's home, this went really fast. You guys were there. You know, you answered my questions. She's moved in. There've been some issues around repairs and whatnot. And we've again, sort of swooped in to help her navigate that, um, working with the landlord also to address the repairs within the unit. But she has an advocate. She does. Yeah. And, and the property owner um, also has you to, you know, kind of help them see how to move forward. That pool that you spoke about, Laura, would that fund some of these repairs? Yes. We're there to really help facilitate that. When she moved in, actually, the refrigerator seemed to be breaking down, and it just was something that the landlord felt like they couldn't take care of, so we took care of it. And without you, none of that would have happened. Yeah, and that specific landlord as well has increased the amount of units that they have offered to us, so we've grown in that partnership as well to be able to have a bigger piece of their portfolio. Can you tell me more stories? I love stories. One of our initial uh, people that we helped to house, she actually came with a voucher, um, and she had identified a house in Staten Island that she was excited to move into with the voucher. It was a private owner. The owner actually lives most of the time in Florida, but she owns this two-family house, has a pool. Uh, The rent numbers work with the voucher. You know, it's very low income. Without our help, that owner would have no idea how to process paperwork with the city. So we literally held her hand every step of the way in terms of all the paperwork that's needed with the city to get a voucher approved. And so that young adult is now very happily housed in Staten Island and the owner is receiving her rent payments on a monthly basis and worked out really well. This owner had never utilized the voucher before this instance. And so she even said she got really lucky to partner with Anthos because we made it pretty smooth. And she, again, was one of those people that we actually populated most of the forms that she had to fill out and just send it to her for signature. Once the tenant moved in, there was a gap. I'm not sure if it came from the city side or the tenant's portion, but she reached out to us and we actually did offer her funding uh, while we troubleshot that gap and restored the, the subsidy or the tenant portion. And then you were able to eliminate that gap by going back to the city and increasing the voucher amount. That's right. And this owner, because of the work that we were doing in New York City and here, she asked me more about the program. She wants to potentially replicate something like that in Florida. She's got a number of properties there as well. So That's fantastic. That's a great story. I love that. I love that. We've been using the word voucher. Uh, We did mention Section 8. Section 8 is not the only voucher program. There's actually, I think it would actually make your head spin if you (laughs) try to understand all the voucher programs that are available. Uh, We probably don't have time today to spend a week on all of them, but let's let's talk about the ones that you're working with mostly and how they may differ and what somebody would expect. So the main voucher that we've been working with so far is called City FEPS. That's issued by New York City. 
It's really available to almost anybody in shelter right now in New York City who's a U.S. resident and has been in shelter for more than 90 days and meets the income requirements. So it is a very widely available voucher. When you use this voucher, you interact with the Department of Human Resources Administration and Homeless Services. And we have an operations team. In addition to Courtney's team, we have a housing team and, and an operations team. That team is really expert at putting together the paperwork required for the city FEPS voucher. We also have the ability to do inspections on behalf of the city for this voucher. So that really helps to expedite things because we have the ability to come with our staff, really Courtney's staff and some of our other staff are also trained to do those inspections to help move things along. And we also have access to the city's database where they now take electronic processing, which helps with kind of speeding things along with the process. Didn't the city just come out with city FEPS or you've been dealing with city FEPS since you started, right? City FEPS has been in place for a number of years. And then there are iterations of it that go back 15 years. They have different names. Some of them still exist. There is still a FEPS as opposed to a city FEPS. New York state also issues some of their own version of FEPS. And then Section 8 is actually, there are different kinds of Section 8 vouchers. In New York City, they are typically issued by the New York City Housing Authority or the New York City's Housing Preservation and Development. Each of those agencies have their own processes for working with those vouchers. And then the state also has some Section 8 type of vouchers. And then there's a few other random, very specific types of vouchers. They are all very specific and detailed and complicated. And so that's really what we're trying to offer owners and tenants is our expertise in understanding what's required, how to get the process done, how to put the voucher in place, and then how to make sure that those payments are being made to the landlord. So is a tenant referred to you, let's say they're referred to you by one of the agencies, are they referred to you by the agency already having the voucher or or are they referred to you by the agency so that you can help them choose the correct voucher uh, or a combination of both? Ideally, they're coming to us with already being matched to a voucher. But because of your experience with this, if they're matched with a voucher and you see that that's not necessarily the best voucher for them, you could probably guide them in the right direction as to what agency to go to to get the correct voucher. Vouchers don't work exactly that way. Oh, okay. It's not really shopping. Um, <laughs> We're not shopping for vouchers. No, okay. unfortunately. It's usually kind of what is available to them. You know, we do understand that uh, the New York City Housing Authority is about to open their waiting list for vouchers, which they have not done in many years. So, you know, people across New York City, I'm sure, will be applying to get onto that Section 8 wait list. That is a good resource. The Section 8 resource is a very good resource for landlords. So you said you're dealing mostly with uh, city FEPs. Is there any difference to the landlord in terms of which voucher the prospective tenant is coming to the table with? I mean, the voucher is going to pay for the rent that's owed to the landlord. So it's not really going to vary. Um, the process of getting the voucher in place varies. The inspection process varies, but typically the ex inspection obligations are about the same. So there's not really a big difference. The voucher amounts are the same. The city matches the federal voucher amounts that are available for different unit sizes. And how does that work? Give me an example. So there's an apartment for X amount of dollars that's available. 
and a tenant is referred to you and they have a voucher, are there different levels of how much the voucher would be and how much the tenant has to pay? Are there situations where the tenant's paying more than the voucher amount or vice versa, or they're not paying anything at all and the voucher's paying everything? How does that work? I mean, it really varies. It's specific to that individual or that family. When a referring agency is sending over these referrals, they're doing some level of screening and determination on qualifications and what voucher size to distribute. And so when they come to us, we use that as sort of the the jumping off point. This is an individual, you have a one bedroom size voucher, you know, here is what the payment standards max are based on whatever the utility breakout will be. Um, And then we really have a conversation with them about what their living preferences are. And we start there and then we look to see if we have anything available that we could potentially match them to. Oftentimes, we try to lock in landlords at the voucher standard, right, for that specific bedroom size so that we're not having to, right, once a tenant is interested, sort of have a negotiation trying to get the rent down to the voucher max. So if someone had an apartment and they're asking 2500 and the, the voucher max is less than that, That's happening well before we even have a tenant. That's happening at the holding stage to say, okay, what is the tenant's responsibility for utilities? Here's the max that you can get for this apartment size. Are you okay with that? We lock them into that rate. You asked about how it's determined on whether or not the tenant has a portion and how much the voucher will cover. If a tenant has income, then it's really the housing authority, the administering agency to determine, you know, what is 30% of their income? How much can they pay based on their income, right? And that income can be, you know, employment, social security, public assistance. So the agencies are really determining what that amount will be relative to the voucher. And then that's what they present to the tenant and to the landlord to say, okay, here's your tenant portion. Here's what the voucher is going to cover. Now, if someone has no income, then it's likely that the voucher will cover the full rent. We've already done groundwork with the landlord to say, this is the max you can receive with this unit size and the utility breakup. So depending on the on the family size, the unit size, the utility structure, mm-hmm. structure, you know, the electric included is not included, gas included, vice versa. That's right. Uh, and the person's income, that's how much the landlord can charge for the apartment. So let's say the apartment, let's say the payment standard for that apartment is twenty five hundred, mm-hmm. and the voucher holder has an income of two thousand dollars a month. And by the way, they're working off of uh, gross income or uh, income after taxes? Gross. Gross income, right. So let's say gross income is $2,000 and 30% of that is $600. So the tenant can pay $600 of that $2,000 rent and then the voucher pays the other $1,400? Not to make it too complicated, but there's some other back-end things, right, that these agencies are sort of filtering through. So for Section 8, they can go up to 40% of that person's income, but can't exceed that because then that's too much of a rent burden for that individual family. From our end, we really do first level screening to determine if the tenant will have a portion and we're submitting that to the city, but ultimately they're running it through their filters to determine ultimately what the tenant portion will be if there is one and how much the voucher will cover. So there are standards, but each situation is unique. That's right. And you're getting into the weeds of the uniqueness of that situation and you're doing the due diligence in advance. That's right. 
And the city also, depending on zip code, right, there are certain areas within the city that are, I would say, highly favored. Um, and, and so we understand, or the city understands, um, when they roll out these payment standards, that certain market rates, right, are going to vary across boroughs. And so there are certain zip codes that even the payment standard could go higher to offer more rent to the landlord. The, if the tenant is paying a portion of the rent, I guess they're receiving that directly from the tenant? That's right. What happens if the tenant all of a sudden has a, a life change, a job change, uh, a, finan- a financial change that prevents them from paying the rent? In either case, whether it's City FAPS or Section 8, there is a process that you can go in and have the city reevaluate or adjust the um, your portion based on whatever your income is. And if there's a loss, you just have to complete paperwork to document that. In the interim, and this is why Anthos Home is so unique, is that we will come in and pay that tenant's portion until the voucher is adjusted. And actually, we've done this in a number of cases already. And that either is because the tenant has reached out to us to say, hey, I've lost income, I want to initiate this process to let the agency that administers my voucher know. And we've then said to the landlord, you're going to be missing this month or these series of months. And so we will, through an ACH transfer, because we already have their banking information when we had them, uh, when we were paying hold fees, right? And so we're able to easily and quickly send that money to them. Or the landlord may reach out to us and say, I didn't receive rent for this month or this this series of months? Can you figure out what's going on? And then we get to the bottom of it and then we make the landlord whole. I know there's a lot of property owners that embrace the idea of programs like Section 8 and City FEPS and already have a large portion of the units in their building or portfolio of buildings occupied this way. Are any of them coming to you and saying, hey, you can help me actually make this easier. They are. That's been a portion of our partnership thus far as well. I try to put myself in their shoes and think about like in life in general, like if something is a hassle to me, I don't want to be bothered with it. And so that's the same thing for them, right? I think ultimately folks want to do the right thing and are offering up units, but when things become a hassle or too burdensome, then they don't want to be bothered. They just rather have their units not participate in these voucher programs, even though this is steady income. A number of them have come to us and said, we want to participate. This seems like a very good model, a good program. This fills a lot of the gaps. What we've also been doing is if you have already existing voucher tenants um, and you have some potential challenges, we can get you connected to some folks in the city to help you work out and untangle some of those issues as well and challenges while we hopefully open the door for more units within your portfolio under Anthos Home. So you're not only helping them from the point where the relationship begins, but you're also helping them with people that they have existing in their portfolio that they're having challenges with, and you're taking that burden off of their shoulders. Yeah, and we're not saying that we're able to do this in large scale, but when it has become the critical part between them wanting to work with us and not, we've stepped in, right? And I think that really speaks to what Laura said earlier about being nimble and flexible. Catering to that specific landlord and those specific challenges that they're encountering can make this easier for them and give us access to their units. You mentioned the different agencies earlier. What would you say are the key partnerships, the organizations, agencies, or individuals that are pivotal to the mission that Anthos has and their role in the partnership? Our government partnerships are critical. They're a key resource and our partner in everything. Obviously, our relationship with with Administration for Children's Services, who believes in this model and kind of the services that we can offer 
their clients who can't get this kind of support in terms of finding housing anywhere else. But the other key partnerships are really the housing agencies, the Department of Homeless Services, Human Resources Administration, Department of Social Services. Those are the agencies that are involved with the shelter administration, the homeless systems in New York City. They're the ones that we have relationships with. We are helping to try and support them in their work. We know that what they do is very difficult. They have staffing shortages. So we are trying to be partners to them as well to make things easier for them. One of the things that we have been doing really well is putting together those subsidy packages, which are quite complicated, but we're able to do them so well that the city doesn't have to spend a lot of time reviewing them, sending us back corrections. We've been able to, on average to date, we submit a package to them for review and approval, and we are able to move somebody in within two weeks, which is a pretty astonishing number. So when you say subsidy package, you mean the voucher itself? the voucher paperwork that the city requires. The city needs to make sure that the voucher is in place, it's going to the right person, the person has the right income, that the amounts are correct, that the unit is correct, there are no issues with the unit. All of those things are things that we make sure are correct before we submit to the city. And what's the typical timeline for that? I mean, you said you you do this in two weeks. What's the typical timeline without you? It can be months because it could be somebody who's living in shelter and somebody at the shelter may know how to do what they're doing, or they may give it to the household to do. The household may not understand that they need to fill out this form, you know, in this way. Then it goes to the city. The city reviews it. They kick it back to the shelter. Shelter then has to find the household. I mean, it can take weeks and weeks if there are problems with the applications. The shelter sometimes is the first step from actual homelessness being on the street. Can people bypass the shelter and get a voucher and move from the street into stable housing? We are not experts on street homelessness, but we are helping people who are at risk of being homeless. Some of those people are able to qualify for vouchers. So for example, we're working with a group of young adults who have aged out of foster care, but they are currently living in some kind of foster care situation. So they're not technically homeless because they're still in foster care, but they need to leave the foster care system. And this is to help bridge that so they can avoid going into shelter. And which agency would they come through with a voucher in that case? So right now, most of them are getting city FEPS vouchers, but some of them will be receiving Section 8 vouchers that are specifically targeted to this population. And they have to start that process on their own? In theory, the foster care agency that's they're working with, they're all assigned to a specific nonprofit foster care agency, will be helping them with that process. And do you have a relationship with some of these foster care agencies? We do. We've actually worked with all 25 foster care agencies in the city. The Administration for Children's Services has facilitated that. We actually provide trainings to all of those agencies who aren't very well-versed in housing, and that's, again, where ACS, the agency, has identified this really big need for support because those agencies don't do housing. That's not what they do every day. And so, again, we are the experts to support those agencies, those nonprofits who want to help their foster care youth move into permanent housing or their families who are at risk of being homeless into housing, but they don't really have the tools. There's so much knowledge required to do an excellent move from voucher into permanent housing They don't have the capacity to do that, just like Leslie had found when she was at Covenant House. It's a very particular form of education and knowledge that you need to really understand. And so that's where where we're 
where we are hoping to fill the need, you know, that we understand all the rules, the expectations, the obligations. And that's why we can really help the foster youth or the family who's in shelter make that move more seamlessly and really try to reduce the amount of stress. The other thing that we really like about the bank is that we're reducing the competition so that when we take a a tenant or a household to a unit, we know that it's available to them. We may show a couple of tenants the unit. We're not, you know, we want to encourage everyone to make choices very quickly. What we have heard is that people who are in shelter, if they go to a unit that's been advertised as open and it meets the requirements, there can be 10 or 20 people who show up to an open house. So it's very hard for, say, a young adult to compete with 15 other families who might seem more stable or who might have a job or school, all of those things. And so we're really helping to level the playing field for the people who are out there looking for housing. That last part just hit me in the heart. It really did. And I'm so glad that we're doing this today because as much as I know about what you do, I really didn't know the extent to what you do. And the fact that you're helping people come out of foster care and to get into stable housing without a gap that could actually change the direction of their life is amazing. So I just want to add that, you know, in addition to working with, um, you know, the foster care system right now, we're also working with high needs health patients. And one of our first success stories there is these are people who have chronic conditions and have a really hard time looking for housing. They might need some accommodations or accessibility. And that's again, where our flexible housing pool money can come in. We can put in grab bars, we can help put in a small ramp, we can do the adjustments that they might need to make it a successful move. And we actually just successfully moved our first high needs health household. They had been in shelter for more than two years, and had not been able to navigate the housing system without our help. And, you know, it's just really great that they're now thriving in their own home, Uh, when they hadn't been able to figure that out before. And so, you know, we're able to do things like that. You know, we're also working with a current household right now. They've been looking for, for housing for months and months. And, you know, it's very hard for one of the, um, the woman in the household to, to actually leave the shelter, like physically hard. And so we can facilitate things like offering her an Uber so she can go and see the unit or support and advocate with her and the landlord and say, you know what, we don't think it's necessary that she come and physically get to your office to sign this document. Why don't we do it electronically? Why don't we do it by Zoom? Otherwise, no one's there really advocating for them. And so that's the idea is like, you know, why land, you know, when we're talking to that property owner, why are you requiring them to come into your office to sign a paper when we can just do this electronically? So just trying to make things easier on both sides and just you know, the property owner may not have never even thought about it. It was just like that was their usual practice. And they don't risk anything by changing things. While you're navigating all of this and simplifying it for potential tenants and potential building owners, I'm sure you're learning different challenges that you did not expect when you first started doing this. Because whenever we start something, we don't know what we don't know. And as you find them out, I'm sure you're working very, very hard to solve these issues. But is there anything on the outside that you feel could change that would really help streamline this process for people? 
I mean, I would say we're learning every day. We're still a very new organization. You know, we were incorporated in the summer of 2022. We received our first funding at the end of 2022. We received our first referrals in the summer of 2023. And housing, we started to grow it then. And it's now still early days. And I would say every day we are learning about the process, understanding all of the ins and outs and, and difficulties of it. And so I think part of it is just the passage of time, you know, we'll get more expertise and be able to be faster. I think the more we can partner with the city to help them in part of their processes, we would love to do that to, to support them in their work. Is there a way to make sure that could we perform inspections in addition to the city? Could we do that for the New York City Housing Authority or HPD? Probably not, but those are things that can help to support the city and the process by giving that to a more nimble organization. Our understanding is sometimes inspections when they're scheduled by outside these government agencies require, say, a super to be available for eight hours at a time. They won't specify a specific time because they have a bunch of different units to look at. We're able to be much more fine-tuned with that. There are little things that we think could be helpful, and I think um, you know, the more communication we have with them and the more they have faith in us. And again, we're still, it's very early days. So, you know, we want to be able to show everybody that we can do the work and that there are good outcomes. You mentioned New York City Housing Authority. That's NYCHA, correct? Yes. And so, while I know that people that live in NYCHA housing have a voucher that's specific to that unit, NYCHA also provides tenant-based vouchers, and you handle those, correct? Yes. I'm going to go back to the key partnerships for a minute and also how you're funded. You had mentioned government. Is, is it a specific part of the government that's doing this? We have a contract with the New York City Administration for Children's Services to support their clients. These are the young adults aging out of foster care, as well as families involved with ACS. And those families are either in shelter or at risk of being homeless. And so the Administration for Children's Services has a contract with us to support them in placing them into permanent housing using our model. And that's where it provides the 50% of funding from the government? Yes. And then the rest is philanthropic? Correct. Why don't we share who some of those philanthropists are? No, we've had amazing support. Uh, Robinhood was our initial funder. Uh, they actually provided us with a planning grant at the very beginning stages when Leslie and I were still doing this part-time on our weekends and evenings. And then they provided our first kind of large grant. And then we also have a tremendous amount of support from the Helmsley Charitable Trust, as well as the Conrad and Hilton Foundation and Trinity Church. Those are among our main funders. We also have a number of other uh, wonderful funders as well, including New York Community Trust, the Altman Foundation, and others. And they're all listed on your website. Yes, they are. Right, which we're gonna we're gonna give the uh, website later on, and also put it in the show notes. Now, if there was another philanthropist that listened to this and said, "Hey, you know what? I I, I want to be involved." Reach out. We're happy to talk to them. All right. So so you haven't you haven't closed the lid on the ability to fund Antho's home. No, we are seeking funds all the time. The idea of what we're doing is to create an infrastructure 
to really help support voucher holders of any kind to move into housing in New York City and potentially beyond. So this is not specific to kind of the families with ACS. The idea is that we're creating an infrastructure where we're going to be able to serve people of all needs who are homeless or at risk of being homeless and have a voucher and help them move. So the the goal is really to try and replicate this and expand this model so that we're serving a number of people throughout the city. So who are the people you would like to have reach out to you to help you continue this great work? Sure. Well, selfishly for me, right, because I manage the housing component of the organization. I don't think there's anything that you do that has anything (laughs) to do with being selfish. (laughs) I'd love for any, you know, any landlord uh, or broker that's doing business in New York City that has available units, access to them. Uh, We're now looking for studios through about three bedroom at the moment in all neighborhoods. If they had uh, units that are available, I'd love for them to reach out to us and we could talk partnership and how we can be beneficial to their business. And, you know, we're happy to talk to anybody who is interested in our work. We're happy to help them understand what we're doing. We're always looking for new partners in terms of, you know, people that are interested in our work, both funders, as well as government, as well as nonprofits who think that what we're doing could be helpful. We're always also looking for services to help support the people that we move into permanent housing. For example, because we're very focused on housing stability, we don't have necessarily the resources to do educational supports or health supports. So we want to partner with other organizations to provide those services so that we know that somebody is stably housed, but they also have access to the other things that they might need. So do you have contracts with providers that, you know, appliances, uh, paint, floors, No, but that would be a great idea. So one of the things we've been thinking about, but we haven't gotten to yet is, you know, any kind of partners that could help us with furniture and the moving costs. You know, if there were companies that were interested in partnering with us and contributing beds or frames or mattresses or Home Depot, actually, we got a grant from TaskRabbit, which has been really fantastic. So they gave us a $10,000 grant, which we can use for their services, which we've been doing with some of the apartments where we need some improvements. Well, we're coming to the point where we're going to close uh, this episode. There is so much more that we could talk about, but I think we've really covered a lot and have stimulated curiosity of the Realty Speak listeners. And Realty Speak listeners, please share this with everyone that you know. This is such a beautiful project that needs to get distributed as much as possible. And the more people that know about it, the more people are going to get involved and make this happen. So tell me a little bit about how many people were working when you started, how big your team is now, and what your future goals are for Anthos Home. We started with a team of two, Thanksgiving of 2022. We are now, a little more than a year later, we have 26 staff. We'll be growing to about 33 by June. We'll probably be doubling that by June of 2025. And then we expect to add yet another 30 people. We're really looking to grow exponentially over the next few years. So we hope to house 200 households by the end of this June, and then increase that by another 500 the following year. So we're really trying to create a really efficient operation. And so we're really interested in expanding our property owners, and then as as well as the tenants that we work with. Uh, Demand is not really a problem. 
Uh, so supply is where we're really trying to, you know, expand as much as possible um, and be as flexible and, you know, accommodating as possible. And if someone wants to reach out to Anthos Home, is there a specific email that they should use so that it gets routed to the correct people? To just find out generally about Anthos Home, it's www.anthoshome, A-N-T-H-O-S-H-O-M-E dot org, O-R-G. And Courtney can give us the actual email address if you're a property provider and interested in working with us. We have a specific email address for you. And that email is support at anthoshome.org. That's unit, U-N-I-T, S-U-P-P-O-R-T at A-N-T-H-O-S-H-O-M-E dot O-R-G. You can also reach us by phone and that number is 212-606-0785. You'll follow the multiple prompts uh, depending on whether or not you're a tenant or property provider. And everyone, that'll be in the show notes. Laura, Courtney, that just blossomed my understanding of not only what it is that you're doing, but how helpful the voucher system in New York City could be. And as our time draws to a close, I have one more question for the both of you. If you woke up tomorrow and something in the world had changed, what do you wish it would be? Everyone were housed. Courtney? That more people were doing the work that Anthos Home does in the same way. Bravo. Bravo. Thank you both so much for being here, Courtney and Laura. Thanks, Bill, for having us. It was a pleasure to chat with you about the amazing work that we do at Anthos Home. And I look forward to hearing from your listeners who are interested to partner with us and moving this mission forward. Thank you so much, Bill. We just really enjoyed being able to have the opportunity to talk more about the work that we do and be a part of the much needed housing ecosystem in New York City and be able to share that with all of your listeners. Well, there you have it. Thank you for listening. I look forward to you joining me for the next episode of Realty Speak, the podcast. Definitely check out the show notes for today's episode for information. And please subscribe. To do so, search for Realty Speak on your favorite podcast app like Podcast Republic, my fave on Android devices, or Apple Podcasts for an iPhone. Find it, open it, hit subscribe, and you're in. Spotify? Yes, you'll find Realty Speak there as well. Please help Realty Speak grow by sharing the show with others. How? Do an email blast. Include as part of your newsletter or on your website blog. Post from LinkedIn, Facebook, and or your ex profile. And of course, if you'd like to talk about purchasing, selling, or financing investment real estate, having a New York City Local Law 152 gas piping inspection done, access past episodes, or just chat, you can contact me directly via the website at billwidener.com. That's B-I-L-L-W-E-I-D-N-E-R.com. And remember, it's not about us, but how we help you make the bottom line rise. Until next time.